again, everyone. It's the final edition, the final broadcast of our Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for the 2013 Major League Baseball season. It's been a great year. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. And alongside, as always, my resident Reds expert and partner in crime, Mark Donahue. And Mark, it was back in March that we started this at the uh, beginning of spring training. And here we are in the middle of October. Both teams are out of it. But I, hence to say that I think it was an up-and-down season. But overall, for the Indians, pretty successful. For the Reds, probably not as much. But still, they made the playoffs and had a winning season. Yeah, when we started this thing, I think we would have both been happy to know for sure that our teams were going to make the playoffs. The Reds won 90 games. What, what the Indians win, 92, I think? Uh, 92. So, so, you know, I think, again, overall, good seasons, certainly much better in terms of what was anticipated for the Indians than it was for the Reds. The Reds were supposed to win the division, and uh, I remember when I made my prediction that the Reds would finish third in the division, I got some uh, very interesting emails from people who called in <laughs> and emailed in. Uh, but it, in looking back, and I'm not you know, trying to, to tout that prediction other than when you looked at it objectively, when you took the emotion out of it, the Reds simply didn't have the talent, in my opinion, to win that division. Now, in fairness, I picked Milwaukee second and I picked Pittsburgh fourth, but I did pick the Reds third just because their offense, in my opinion, was not going to be the kind that was going to score enough runs uh, and be consistent, and that's the key, be consistent. Uh, the team struck out way, way too many times again. They don't make contact. They don't, under D Dusty Baker, they did not move the runner along. They didn't steal bases. Uh, it was a three-run home run or else with that lineup. And what happened was uh, they they lost tight games, and they always lost, seemingly, against better-than-average pitchers. Now, they would beat up uh, the fourth or fifth starter, maybe the third starter of a team, but uh, if they faced tough pitching, they, they really were no match for that kind of pitching. On the other hand, the Indians, uh, you, you know, you, you look back on, on what we thought they would do, uh, I think we both felt they would not win the division, but they wouldn't make the playoffs either. So, you know, kudos to the Indians, and I think the Indians fans have a lot to look forward to next year. Well, I know we've been doing this show now. This is the fourth season, and the the way the first three seasons ended, Mark, for the Cleveland Indians, you know I was about ready to jump off the 480 bridge. This year, I'm excited about the prospects for the team in 2014. I think there's some things that they've got to overcome. There's some things that they have to do during the next few months leading into spring training of next year. But I think the, the horizon for the Indians is a lot better this year than it has been going into the winter months over the last few years. And over the next 50 to 55 minutes of tonight's last Ohio Baseball Weekly show, what Mark and I are going to do is we're going to go down our top 10 things that the Indians and Reds must do in order to, let's just put it this way, meet up in the World Series next October for the 2014 season. We're also going to have our Ask Us segment, and you can squeeze your questions into us for this final show to ask us at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can give us a tweet at OHBB co-host or at, at alt sports talk or you can also send us a message on Facebook just simply by liking us on the page. But, Mark, before we even get into our Ask Us segment, there's one question that stands out. We have got a message here tonight from Jimmy and I'm going to read it verbatim. Just so you guys know, I told all my friends about Mark and Dave this season, and we're having a Monday night football and Ohio Baseball Weekly party for the last show this season. Can you guys give us a shout-out and tell us how you expect the season to go next year? Well, Jimmy, to all you guys having fun tonight watching Monday night football, the Colts and the Chargers, and listening to Mark and I spew our somewhat intelligent thoughts about the Reds and Indians. We're going to give you a shout out tonight. Thanks thanks for everybody, especially to Jimmy and his gang tonight. Makes us wish we could be there right with them, Mark. Well, I, I got to tell you, I'm a little upset with Jimmy. Uh, 
Why didn't he tell us where the party was and how much beer they had? That's what I wanted to know. Why weren't we invited? We could have done the show from there and had lots right. of beer and pizza and watch football. But no, Jimmy, you don't invite us. So uh, next year we expect an invite, and we'll be very disappointed if you don't come through. We want to do a lot of remotes next year, Mark. We've already talked about it. We could have done the first one for next year tonight and That's gone right. to Jimmy's party. But nonetheless, we're we're stuck here in the palatial Ultimate Sports Talk radio <laughs> studios. So that's where we are. Hey, as we said, okay, the Indians and the Reds made the playoffs, Mark. The Indians with 92 wins, the Reds with 90 wins. In order for these two teams to face off in next year's World Series, which I think is what we've got to make the goal for the 2014 season, first of all, before we even get into your top ten with the Reds and my top ten with the Indians, let's bring everybody up to date with what's happening with the Reds' managerial search. Last year it was the Indians looking for a manager at the end of the year. This year it's the Reds. What's going on? The latest I heard, which was about two hours ago, was that unless someone comes out of the woodwork, and I don't know who that could be, uh, it's likely to be Brian Price as the Reds' manager. Now, that obviously is always subject to change, and he, he has to accept the job if it's offered. But I think right now it's between he and Jim Riggleman, uh, but given uh, Price's, uh, the respect this organization has for Brian Price and the respect the rest of baseball has for him. Don't forget, this guy was invited to... Uh, apply for a number of management positions last year, managerial positions, he turned them down, and now I, you look back and you wonder if he was given uh, an insight into perhaps the Reds making a change this year, and that change could have been based not only on the performance of the team, but also Dusty Baker's health. And I just wonder if that was something that was, if not explicitly, implicitly passed on to him by saying, look, hang around here. One way or the other, you may be the manager next year. If not, you know, you're going to find a job. But I think it's going to be Brian Price, and, and frankly, uh, that was number one on my list of my top ten. Yeah, you've been saying him for the last couple of years that Brian Price should be the manager. But I guess my, my guess is, Mark, if he's the guy, if they've pretty much made up their mind that he's going to be it, why the delay? Why haven't they just named him? Well, there's an unwritten rule in baseball that you don't make major announcements during the playoffs because you don't want to detract from that uh, that event by having something big take away the headlines from the games. And I, I really don't disagree with that from a marketing perspective. And plus, it would give the Reds a lot more. Uh, you don't want to, you don't want to, from the Reds' perspective, dilute that announcement and maybe the impact it might have on ticket sales or whatever by doing it during the World Series or during the playoffs. So I think it's a good idea to wait. And if it's going to be Brian Price, I would bet Brian Price already knows. And if it's not going to be Brian Price uh, by now, it probably won't be. Well, as I said, Mark and I are going to go down our top ten of what we think the Indians and Reds must do over the next few months in order for these two teams to face off in the World Series next year. Mark? I'm going to give you the honors. Go ahead and you give us your top ten on what the Reds need to do in order to get there next year. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, first of all, these these ten things are not necessarily in order of importance because they're all important. But I think uh, some of these things are, uh, obviously are more important than others. But uh, number one, I would hire Brian Price as the, the manager. He knows the team. The team knows him. He's smart. He, he's recrafted this pitching staff, and uh, I think he, he would be a huge addition to this organization, and I think the Reds will win with him. Secondly, I would get a new hitting coach. Now, whether it's Brooke Jacoby's fault that these hitters did not perform this year, did not perform last year, I don't know. And no, you can't prove a negative. But you, you have to go out and see if somebody can change this team's offensive approach. And some of that is personnel, of course, that you have to deal with. But when you have people strike out as much as the Reds do, uh, either you've got the wrong hitting coach or you've got the wrong players. You can't replace the players, so I would try replacing the hitting coach. Number three, and this may be, 
it's certainly high up on the list of most important things to do. They have to sign a number four hitter. They've got to get a guy who can thump the ball, do it consistently, drive in some runs. It doesn't mean he has to hit 50 home runs. It means he has to not strike out over 100 times. <laughs> That's what he has not to do. Uh, if you were to get a, a legitimate number four hitter, presumably playing left field, that lineup changes dramatically. And one of the great rumors I heard last week was the the Milwaukee Brewers may be interested in trading Ryan Braun. And according to the source I had, the Reds had dangled Homer Bailey. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But that's a very intriguing trade. Homer Bailey just coming into his own. As a, he could be a number one starter. And Ryan Braun, I mean, presumably he is going to be just as effective, not on the juice, but you never know. But do you pick up a guy with that kind of baggage um, in terms of reputation and so on? I don't know. But if the Reds get a number four hitter, they're going to be awfully, awfully tough to beat. And here is a addition or a deletion that is an addition. You do not sign Bronson Arroyo. You don't re-sign him. The Reds don't need him. He's going to be making $16 million if they re-sign him. Uh, I, I think it's a huge, huge mistake to re-sign him. And it's not that I, I don't like Bronson Arroyo. I just don't like him for $16 bucks. I'm not sure I like him for $8 bucks. Uh, he gets lit up a lot, and uh, the Reds have, I, I think, a better pitching staff without him. Mark, uh, I also saw on the Internet today that Bronson Arroyo is being rumored to be coming to the Indians because he's got such an outstanding relationship with Terry Francona, and the Indians, if they let Jimenez go, will be in the market for another starting pitcher. That's a rumor that we should keep our, our eyes on this winter. And, and you know what? That's a good That's a good place for him. Uh, it's certainly a much better stadium for him than Great American Ballpark. And that that would make a lot of sense. I, I think he, he would do well there. Going back to the American League, I mean, and he can still pitch. I think the Reds just have better options than him for the price. The next thing I would do, number five in my list, is move Araldus Chapman to the starting rotation. You've got to find out what this guy can do pitching more than 50 innings a year. I mean, this is one of the, the best arm. You could argue one of the best arms in baseball in the last decade, and he pitched 50 innings last year. And as a closer, he was really middle of the pack. He threw hard. I think he had five or six blown saves. Not that he wasn't effective. He was. But if that is going to be your statistical goal, is to have a guy middle of the pack, the Reds have a lot of options uh, to throw in there as a closer. But having Chapman in that uh, starting rotation would be uh, amazing. And then I would form my, number six would be forming my starting rotation with Chapman in it. So you'd have Chapman, Singrani, Latos, Cueto, and Bailey. And then leak somewhere, or you trade one of those guys. But um, let me repeat that. Chapman, Singrani, Latos, Cueto, Bailey. That is a rotation that really is as strong as Detroit's this year, and maybe top to bottom stronger. So it, it, assuming Chapman you know, can do what he did as a starter in the bullpen, that is a very, very imposing starting rotation. Uh, number seven, and these are kind of minor things, although they, they would have a big impact and not cost the team a lot of money, I get rid of his tourists as my backup shortstop. He, he hit 200. Uh, he's okay defensively. There are better options than a guy like that. Uh, I'd get rid of Hanahan uh, as my backup third baseman. And the, the other thing I would do, and those two suggestions is Turris and Hanahan gone, go get a new third baseman and replace Frazier. I know Frazier's very popular, but I'm telling you that guy has a 230 batting average this year. It's not going to get better. The league has figured him out. But he would be a terrific bench player. He can play shortstop. He can play third. He can play the outfield. He's a better option than his Turris or Hanahan. And put him in that in that spot. He'd still play probably 130, 140 games a year. But he's better than those two. And then you get a third baseman who could hit 270, 280, and augment your 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 batting rotation. And lastly, and this I think is a no-brainer. You've got to put Billy Hamilton on that roster 
and get him three or four hundred bats a year. Now, one of the things you could do, and I know this is this will sound like heresy, like a stupid suggestion, but I wish the Reds would think through this option. Why not move Brandon Phillips to third base? And I know what you're saying. All-star second baseman. He's also going to be 33 years old. He's slowed down. He has slowed down already in the last two years. Is he still a great second baseman? Of course he is. Imagine him at third base. He would probably be the best fielding third baseman in the last 10 or 15 years in the National League. He's got a cannon for an arm. He can certainly make the throw from third to first. And then move Billy Hamilton, a former shortstop, to second base. Hamilton can play second base. He's got a, a, another great arm. And you can afford then have him hit 230-240, and he'll steal you 80, 90 bases. That's like 80 or 90 doubles the guy's going to hit. So that is my big suggestion. I know it's it sounds kind of crazy, but you need a third baseman that's better than Frazier. You've got one in Phillips, and you put ha uh, Hamilton in center field. You get a new power-hitting left fielder, and I tell you the Reds could win 110 to 115 games next year. Those are my ten. I welcome a challenge from Jimmy and others, <laughs> and uh, look forward to hearing your ten on the Indians. Well, speaking of Jimmy... Um, we just got an email from Jimmy telling us that the party is in Colorado. So thank you, Jimmy, but I don't think we're going to be hopping the next American Airlines flight out to Denver uh, this evening. Maybe if we'd have had a few days' notice, right, Mark? Well, no, David. See, you're not thinking big enough. Jimmy sounds, and, and, and the guys there, to me, they sound very wealthy. So I think what we could have done is get them to spring for our ticket, fly us out there, put us up for a few days, and we would have done our show from his palatial estate, and he would have been thrilled with the whole thing. I, I think so. We'd have, we'd have had just a ball out there. Um, you know, your, your idea, Mark, about moving Hamilton either to center field or to second base, especially second base, is that predicated on the Reds re-signing Shinsu Chu? Yeah, yes, it is. I, I think they're going to do that, especially if they don't sign Arroyo. And, uh, again, ha having, ham having a second baseman hit 230-240, but still that many bases, is, is perfectly acceptable to that lineup. And with moving uh, Brandon Phillips to third base, uh, <laughs> how many more years can he play second? Is my point. He signed for five or six more years. Y you don't have many 37-, 38-year-old second basemen. <laughs> they lose the agility. They lose the quickness. And he is not going to get better defensively over the next five years. But at third base, you have a lot of 40-year-old third basemen because they don't need the quickness and the range. All they need is good hands and an arm, and he's got that. You know, the thing about it is, Mark, the Reds won 90 games. They won 97 a year ago. There's not much room for more improvement between that 90 to 97 number. On the other hand, with the Indians, they won 92 games there's really not a lot of improvement that they can make on the wins. Both teams can make improvements to their ball club, but when you're looking at the number of wins throughout the regular season, there's not a whole lot more improvement that they can make over that total of wins, just maybe three or four. But those three or four wins could make the difference between winning a division and hosting the first round. Well, I disagree a little bit with that, Dave. I think the Reds... And, and I'm not saying the Indians don't, but I, I really strongly believe the Reds have a chance with that starting rotation I mentioned before of, of Chapman, Singrani, Leto, Cueto, and Bailey. I think they have a chance to win 100 games. And if they are just a little creative offensively, and maybe it's moving Hamilton to second base, I, I don't know. But whatever it is, this team has a chance to really be a good team and to, to surpass the Cardinals and the Pirates rather easily, actually. Now, again, it all depends on their creativity, uh, getting more, getting a better on-base percentage, driving in runs in, in tough spots with, the, with two out. They did not do that this year. But it, it, all the pieces are on the table, as I see it, with, with the Reds. And frankly, I'm, I'm not, don't get the Indians fans get mad at me here. I think the Reds are a better overall team than, than the Indians but they really underperformed this year. 
So if, whether it's Brian Price or whomever it's going to be, I think they have to look at revamping that offense. If they don't do that, we're going to be back here next year crying the blues again that the Reds didn't make it. Well, if they're already talking a deal with Ryan Braun at the Milwaukee Brewers, why not make the whole thing a blockbuster? If you're going to go after Ryan Braun, why not get Braun and Ricky Weeks? I don't know if where you put Weeks other than third base. Second base. Yeah, but and then move Brandon to third? Move Brandon to third. And well, yeah, keep I, Hamilton in center, you don't need to. Well, or just put Weeks to third. Could do that, then, too. Then you'd have only one guy out of position. But my concern about Brandon Phillips is I noticed, I went, I went down there, I saw about 20 games this year. He is still a great second baseman. Don't get me wrong, he is. But he is not nearly as quick as, say, Robbie Cano right now. Robbie Cano, man, he, he is like lightning at second base. And there's other guys, younger guys, that are much quicker than Brandon Phillips. Brandon Phillips still makes great plays, and he's got a good arm. But, but again, he's not going to get better defensively. But he could be a, just an unbelievably good third baseman. And his bat would be perfectly fine there, much better than Frazier at third base. So that, that, that is my big move, is, is, is that move. Of course, a lot of people disagree with that, but uh, that's why we have this show, and they don't. <laughs> well, you and I have discussed that now for about a year, moving uh, Phillips. Not because he's losing any range at second, but just simply because it may prolong his career. Um, let's take a look at what the top ten things are the Indians have to do, and then in the second half hour we'll get into our Ask Us segment and go, get into our prognosis of what needs to happen next year. I think the number one thing that the Cleveland Indians have to do, Mark, leading into next season is make a decision to make Carlos Santana the full-time first baseman, and Jan Gomes the full-time catcher. Just give them those jobs right now. Now, that means if you give first base to Carlos Santana, what do you do with Nick Swisher? Well, a lot of people feel Nick Swisher should go back to right field, which is where he played the last five years for the New York Yankees, and he played there a little bit with the Chicago White Sox and the Oakland A's too. I think Carlos Santana is better suited for first base and Jan Gomes just had an outstanding uh, throwout percentage at second base this year as a catcher. He's got such a quick release. He threw out over 50% of the base runners trying to steal, Mark. And I, I think he's just he's suited for that catching position for the Indians. Now, that being said, the number two thing that the Indians must do is sign Scott Kazmir. He's the only left-hander that they have in a predominantly right-handed starting rotation. Kazmir, after having two years off, came back this year and did an outstanding job. He did tail off towards the end of the season, but like I said, that's because he hasn't pitched in the last two years. He regained his fastball. He regained his pinpoint control towards the end of the season before he started tiring out. I think the thing the Indians must do is sign him to a two- or three-year deal and keep him on this team. The number three thing that the Indians have to do is trade Chris Perez. And here's an interesting thing, Mark. If you're talking about moving Araldus Chapman to the bullpen, what about Chris Perez to the Reds as their closer? David, please. <laughs> David, after four years, you expect me to take that guy? We've already got Broxton, who could, who, who's far, far stronger than, than Perez, uh, we've got uh, Sean Marshall, who could close certain games. J.J. Uh, Hoover. I could go on and on. Um, Sam McCure. I think all four of those guys are guys I'd rather have closing for me than, than Perez. I, I would uh, tend to agree with you. How's animal control down in Hamilton County, by the way? We'll, we'll forget about that one. Anyway, <laughs> I think the Indians have to trade... Chris Perez. That's the number three thing that they need to do. The number four thing, if you're going to trade Chris Perez, that means you have to sign Joe Smith, who was really a very valuable member out of the bullpen this year for the Indians when Chris Perez and Vinny Pistano went down. If you can get Joe Smith to come back, sign him again to another three-year deal, I think you're going to solidify that bullpen even more. Number five is going to surprise a lot of people. Maybe not so much on the way I really went against this deal the first, 
first couple of years that he was with the Indians, but also the way I praised him for the way he pitched in the last half. I think the Indians have to allow Ubaldo Jimenez to go. They will probably offer him a qualifying offer of the $14.1 million. Jimenez will probably decline it, and he'll go on the free agent market. But if he signs with somebody else, that allows the Indians to get a first-round draft pick from anybody that Jimenez signs with. I like Jimenez. I like the way that he pitched the last half of the season, Mark. But he had a five-year deal, and he didn't pitch until the last half of the last year of that contract. I do not want to give this guy another five-year contract and have to deal with him four and a half more years pitching the way that he did before. I think they have to allow Jimenez to leave. Now, if they do that, then that means number six, they're going to move Josh Tomlin into the rotation. Tomlin's coming off Tommy John surgery. He had two outings with the Indians in September, pitched very well for them in that amount of time. I think with him in the starting rotation, that's going to give you, and considering that they need to sign Kazmir, you're going to have Masterson, Danny Salazar, Scott Kazmir, Corey Kluber, Josh Tomlin, and Zach McAllister to pick from to be your five-man rotation. Now, are they going to trade one of those? Are they going to keep them all? Are they going to move someone into long relief? You never know. But as both the Reds and Indians and every other major league team knows, you rarely go through a season with five men as your sole rotation. You've got to have two other guys that you can spot start. The Indians are going to need one. Number seven, they need to keep Jason Giambi. I think he'll be more valuable to this team, Mark, as a player. It's a lot easier for players to go to another player and talk about things that are bothering them than it is for them to go to a coach. But however this pans out, I think Jason Giambi wants to stay with the Indians. He's already said that. The Indians want to keep him. I think he'll be back with the Indians in some capacity next year, either as a player or a coach. Okay. Number eight. Okay. Hold on a second. I'd let you get away with those first seven, uh, first six, I guess, but I disagree with you on Giambi. Uh, what did he hit this year, 185 during the regular season? 188, but he was more valuable to this team than hitting. Well, maybe so. If that's the case, hire him as a coach. Because I don't think, in, you know, you've only got, if you, if you carry 12 pitchers, you've got 13 guys on your, on your starting rotation or start on the bench or starting for you. And that is a too big a percentage, in my opinion, to keep a guy hitting 188, no matter how many big hits he had, because he didn't have that many. He had two or three big hits, granted. But that team is missing some offense. And I, I, that's the only one I've disagreed with so far. Is And I like him, and you could have a role for him on the bench, but I, I don't think you want to waste that spot on your 25-man with a guy hitting 188, and he ain't going to get better. Well, it's interesting that you mention that too, Mark, because the Indians rearranged their, their coaching staff. They've moved uh, Sandy Alomar Jr. off as bench coach to first base. He's the new first base coach. They've moved their first base coach whose name escapes me right now, and he has become the third base coach. And the third base coach, Brad Mills, has now become the bench coach, which is what he was when he was in Boston with Terry Francona before Mills left to become manager of Houston. Now, I think all this is predicated, Mark, on the fact that they think Sandy Alomar is going to get the job with the Chicago Cubs. I, I think that's a perfect fit. I think Alomar is going to get a managing job somewhere, and I think that's why they've rearranged their coaching staff. So if that happens, then that's just a natural progression for Jason Giambi to take over the first base coaching. So whichever way they keep him, player or coach, I think they've got to keep Jason Giambi. Number eight, Carlos Carrasco, I think they've found his niche. It's in the bullpen. Whether it be setup or closer, I think they're going to move Carrasco to the bullpen next year, and that is where he will be coming in from the bullpen. He can come in there and he can light up the the radar gun, throwing 97, 98 miles an hour, 
And I think for one or two innings, this guy is going to be dynamite. Number nine, pretty much the same thing you said, Mark. The Indians need a cleanup hitter, and he's got to be playing right field, DH, or third base. They had sort of the the three-headed horse this year where they were rotating Swisher, Rayburn, Santana around that DH first base right field spot. It's another thing that they've got to do next year, but they need somebody like a Kendry Morales, which I know you and I have brought up a couple of times for both the Reds and the Indians. And there are some other people that they're talking about. I think the Indians know what they need. I know they know what they need, and I think they're going to be willing to go after it here in this offseason. And the tenth thing that I think the Indians must do, it's they, they need to eliminate this dynamic pricing that they tried this year with their tickets. Uh, what they would do, Mark, is they would have one price for a seat if you went to order it online. If you came to the ticket booth, they had another price. If you came the day of the game, they had another price. If you wanted to buy a ticket two weeks in advance, they had another price. They called it dynamic pricing. I think they've got to eliminate that, go back to one price for each seat, so that way when a person decides that they want to come up to the to the game, the ticket that they looked at two weeks ago is not more expensive coming up to the box office the day of the game. I think that scared a lot of people away. I know I'm making excuses for the Indians not making a big splash in attendance this year. That will change next year. I think they need to eliminate the dynamic pricing. And if I can add one addendum to my top ten, I would say 10A, get rid of Matt Underwood as your play-by-play announcer on the television broadcast. He is terrible. He's not worth the money he's being paid. Get rid of him, and I think Fox Sports will. Thank you very much. That's the top ten. Mark, if they listen to us, there's no reason we can't be doing this show for three more weeks next year at this time. I agree. I think uh, the the aggregate brilliance on this show has been demonstrated by our astute recommendations. But I'd like to play a little, not word association, but a game with you and see if our our listening audience agrees with our conclusions. I would like to go through the three major categories and the lineups of our our respective teams, and let's see what we pick uh, if you have a choice between a Cleveland Indian or a Cincinnati Red. Let's start behind the plate. Who would you rather have? Give me your two Cleveland Indian catchers, and I'll give you the two Reds catchers, and let's pick one. Well, Jan Gomes and Carlos Santana. Okay, you have uh, Hanahan or um, Hannigan or Mezzarocco. Who do you like of those four? Are, are we talking about past performance or, or potential? We're talking about starting lineups for 2014. Who do you want of those as, four? As far as far as I'm concerned, I would take Jan Gomes. Okay, I, I think I I don't know him that well, but his with the numbers you told me about the 50 percent plus throwout rate is very, very impressive. I don't know what he's like offensively. I would have taken, not knowing the answers to those questions, I probably would have taken Devin Mezzarocco, because I think the guy is going to hit 25 home runs last next year and, and hit about 280, but we'll see. So we disagree on that. You take Gomes, I would take Mezzarocco. First base. But let me say this, Mark, I don't think we could lose on either one. Probably so. Probably so. Yeah. Now, who would, you, who would you take at first base? Joey Votto? Joey Votto. Okay. So we have, uh, we're split on the catcher. We have Votto at first. Second base, Brandon Phillips or? That, Jason Kipnis. And I'll tell you what, that one, that one is a toughie. That, to me, that one is a toughie. I, I mean, Brandon Phillips is one of the best second basemen in baseball. But Jason Kipnis is becoming one of the best second basemen in baseball. If I've got to go into next year, I would probably put, (laughs) I'm going to beg out on this one, I'd put Brandon Phillips at third and play Kipnis at second. (laughs) Come on, you can't do that. (laughs) Phillips. Okay. Shortstop. 
Zach Cozart? As Drupal Cabrera. Okay, I think we agree on that. So right now we have a lineup of Votto at first, Phillips at second, um, Cabrera at short. How about third? Well, that's a good question because neither one of us have a third baseman that we can rely on, and that's why I would say let's just put Kipnis at second and Phillips at third. No, we can't do that. That's cheating. Um, I don't want to cheat. Uh, I, I would go with Mike Avillis. What, what was your stats this they played, they, they played down the stretch with Avillis at third. Uh, he had about 275 for the entire year playing between shortstop, second, and he even played left field sometimes this year and third base, but they played him primarily at third during the last month of the season. I, I think I'd go with Mike Avillis. You know, I think I might agree with that. Just because I've seen Frazier and the inconsistency he has, it, it really is very frustrating. Now, left field. Uh, Michael Brantley. I agree with that. The Reds didn't have anybody this year in left field that I would have put over Brantley. Center field. You know, that's an interesting position right there, Mark, is center field, because the Reds would wanted Chu. The Indians gave up on Chu, and because they gave up on Chu, they went out to sign Michael Bourne. So you've got, do you take Michael Bourne, or do you take Shinsu Chu? I, I think, think this year, because of what Shinsu Chu did for the Reds and what Michael Bourne didn't, I think you've got to go with Chu. I agree with you. Right field. No, there, there's no doubt. Jay Bruce. Yeah. So our... Who am I missing here? We've got Vado at first, Phillips at second, Cabrera at short, Avilles at third, Brantley in left, Chu in center, Bruce in right. Mm-hmm. Catcher would be Gomes. Okay, catcher versus Gomes or Mezzarocco. That's where we disagree. I think we agreed on everything yeah. else. Now, yeah, we did. Rather okay. than going through the entire rotation, let's just pick our top three starters. You, you pick... Who do you think, if you had to start game one of the playoffs, of, of our collective pitching staffs, our, our top uh, our, our starting rotations, who would you start in game one of a playoff game? Well, had it, uh, the way they had it scheduled and the way I would have done it would have been Ubaldo Jimenez would have been the number one starter in Boston had they got past Tampa Bay. Number two would have been Corey Kluber, and number three would have been Scott Kazmir. Okay, the Reds, assuming everybody's healthy, the Reds, would have, you, you could have picked from Latos, Cueto, or we're going to use this year's staff, Bailey, as your top three. Now, of those collective six, you're the manager going into the playoffs. You can pick any one of your three or any one of the Reds' three. Who are you going to pick? Latos, uh, the way he pitched in the last half of the season, I would have picked Jimenez. Okay. But after that, probably Latos. All right. Then after that, I probably would have gone with Leak. Leak? You didn't even bring up Leak. No, I didn't bring up Leak. Uh, but I thought, you know, what I saw, with the exception of the game that he pitched against the Cubs... Uh, I thought Leak was one of the better pitchers that the in, uh, that the Reds had this year. And then you look at Arroyo and you look at Bailey. Not so much Arroyo, but Bailey was right there. You know, I agree with you that the Reds have a better p- starting pitching staff than the Indians and probably a better overall staff than, than the Indians. I, I totally agree with that. So here's the question. Is there anybody on your staff, you picked Jimenez as your number one guy, Anybody on that staff could break a rotation of Chapman, Singrani, Latos, Cueto, or Bailey. Would you start Jimenez over any one of those five? Say that again. You have you, you can pick ten pitchers on your you have ten starting pitchers, five from your staff, five from the Reds. You said your number one guy was Jimenez. My question is, in playoffs next year, would you pick Jimenez over Chapman, Singrani, Latos, Cueto, or Bailey? The way he pitched the last half. If he's pitching the way he pitched the last half of this season, yes. I would say that he was the best pitcher. I think he was the best pitcher in baseball the last half of the season, Mark. 
I, I totally believe that. He was pitching the best of anybody out there, including Scherzer, including Kershaw. He he was it. He was the stud. But after that, there was a deep fall off, especially after Masterson uh, got hurt. All right. Well, let's look at the bullpens now. And we don't want to go through all five or six guys in the bullpen, or eight, seven or eight for that matter. Pick your your setup guy, number one setup guy from both I, staffs, and, and your closer. You're you're gonna hands down the Reds have the better setup man and closer because the Indians spent the entire year trying to find those two. I agree with you on that. So our, our starting if we had a combined roster and, and forget the bench players for a moment. We would have a, a, a tandem catching, and you typically have two catchers anyway. You'd have your guy, uh, and you'd have um, Mezzarocco. Mezzarocco. And then you have Vado, Phillips, Cabrera, Aviles, Brantley, Chu, and Bruce. You'd have a starting rotation of Jimenez, Latos, Bailey, Cueto. And in, from your selection, you'd have Leak in there. You'd have a, a, a bullpen, a closer of Sean Marshall, and your, I'm, I'm sorry, your setup guy, Sean Marshall, and your closer of the world is Chapman. That team would win 110 games. If you combine those those rotations, I, starting lineup, that would be a really, really strong team. It, that would be that would be a very strong team. Yeah, yeah, it it absolutely would. I mean, you know, but when we when we look at this, Mark, you know, we just got a tweet in from Harry 57 that says if you're going to compare position by position, the Reds are definitely a better team, but the Indians were the better team hands down this year. I think he's absolutely correct. And that's why you needed a new manager. <coughs> the Reds wasted so much talent this year, and you don't, you, know, you don't assemble this kind of talent forever. There'll be injuries, there'll be trades, there'll be contracts. And the Reds missed a huge opportunity this year, and it's you know you got to look at the front office and you got to look at Dusty Baker as a reason they did not perform. So whomever said just made that comment, I agree with wholeheartedly. The Reds had the better players, and the Indians had the better team. It's time now to get into our Ask Us segment, where you, the fans, ask Mark and I our opinions on what's going on, not only with the Reds and Indians, but in Major League Baseball. Mark, we're going to start off tonight's segment with Chris09U. He tweeted and said, if Price is the top runner, top front runner for manager, why is Paul O'Neill getting a lot more press as a potential managerial prospect in Cincinnati? I'll tell you very simply why. Paul O'Neill works for the Yes Network for the New York Yankees. And he's going to get a lot of press if he were to go to the bathroom. I mean, it's it's... There's no way they're going to hire Paul O'Neill, who's never managed, to take over a team that can go to the World Series. You need a real manager this year. And the same with Barry Larkin and, and anybody else who ha hasn't had experience. Uh, I think that would be a huge mistake to get somebody who doesn't have that kind of uh, managerial background. Here's another question from Hate Me Today. Interesting name. Tell me one player for each team, the Reds and the Indians, you want to re-sign, one player you want to trade, and one player you want to cut. So, Mark, who's the one player you want to re-sign for the Reds? Homer Bailey. Over, over Chu? Uh, good, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, I think... <laughs> Thank you, know, you. I'm here for I a would. reason. I really think I would rather sign Bailey, although we really need Chu... Homer Bailey could be a number one starter uh, for the Reds, and he's just coming into his own. And if they don't resign him, they're going to really regret it. Uh, Chu had a great year. I really like him as a player. But if I only had you know twelve million dollars to spend or fifteen million dollars to spend a year for one guy, uh, I would go with the pitching, regrettably, because I like Chu. Well, see, my my pick for the Indians is. is <laughs> I'll tell you what, I would love to have Jimenez back, but not for five years, not for four years. If I could sign him to a two- or three-year deal, I, I would take that in a second. So taking him out of the equation, because I think it's going to take a five-year deal, the guy I want to see the Indians re-sign is Scott Casimir. 
for the reasons that I stated earlier. I just think he's more important as a left-hander to to this pitching staff than Jimenez will be down the road. Who's one player you want to trade on the Reds, Mark? I would trade Frazier. I think his value may be higher now than it's ever going to be. He is a young guy. He hit, uh, what, 18, 19 home runs this year. Uh, but he has so many holes in his swing. If, if I could bring in a more consistent hitter, uh, I would. I don't know who else on the team. Unless you were to make a just a huge blockbuster trade, you think about it, there are few players you could trade on that team because of their long-term contracts. So unless you're going to trade a Bailey uh, or a Leak, uh, which I don't want to trade, uh, the only guy that I would look to trade would be Frazier. Well, it's very obvious the guy I want to see traded, Chris Perez. I want him out of Cleveland on the first Amtrak out of town. (laughs) All right, what's the one player you would cut? Well, there's a number of possibilities there, uh, but I'd probably cut his tourists. Uh, he was per, pretty much helpless offensively this year. Hit, hit, if he hit 200, he did so because he had three hits, I think, on the Saturday, last Saturday of the season. Uh, but he, he did not help the team at all uh, offensively. So uh, that's easy, easily replaced his, his skill set, and uh, he's the guy I'd, I'd get rid of. Well, I, I'm going to kind of cheat on this question because I, I can't really think of a guy that I'd like to cut off the Indians if I'm trading Perez. But Jason Kubel, who they got in in September, uh, he's got a seven and a half million dollar contract, but a five hundred thousand dollar buyout, which the Rockies have already picked up. I'm sorry, not the Rockies, but Arizona have already picked up that buyout if the Indians want it. Uh, Kubel would be the guy that I would cut. That that's the question from Hate Me today. Craig writes in and says, Mark, I'm certainly not sad that the Reds let Dusty go. But I did really like him. He just wore out his time in Cincinnati. That being said, do you think he will manage in baseball again? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think he definitely has some skills that would be valuable to certain teams, but you have to match him with the opportunity. And I would, if I were a team that wanted to win today, I don't think he's your guy. But he can teach some, some guys. I mean, maybe, maybe Seattle would be a great spot for him. They have a bunch of young guys out there. They could use a steady hand. And my big issue with Dusty this year was not, I mean, I would, like everybody else, he drove me nuts sometimes with his bench managing. Just, I get so frustrated, I want to throw something at the TV screen. But he, to me, the problem with Dusty was his, was his health this year. I don't think he was as healthy as he was in the past. He certainly wasn't as robust looking. He looked almost... Uh, almost comatose sometimes on the bench, and and in fairness to him, you you don't have a stroke fueled by an irregular heartbeat uh, and come back and be as physically sound as you could be, and that's you know it's not his fault, but I just didn't think he his his whole persona this year I think bled into the team and everybody seemed to be down this year, no, no life, and, and that's what I saw with Dusty. But I think he can manage. He's, 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 a, he's a good manager. MVP manager three years, uh, manager of the year three years. Uh, yeah, he can manage, and he probably will. Any ideas on what a good fit would be for him, what team would be a good fit? Well, like I said, I think the best fit for him would be Seattle. Uh, he's not going to go back to Chicago, I don't think. Uh, they, they wouldn't. They hate him up there. <laughs> he, he was really, really disliked in Chicago. Uh, I think they got so close and didn't win it, they blamed him. But uh, th- there may be other spots for him. He may be a kind of guy who doesn't start off with a team at the beginning of the year and then somebody gets canned and they bring him in to kind of right the ship. But uh, to me, Seattle's the best best shot for him. What about Washington? No, I, I think they're too good. Uh, I think they have that, – that team should have won it this year. And I don't think management is going to go with, with Dusty Baker. They're going to bring in somebody more aggressive, younger, who can, who can really lead that team, and uh, I don't think that's Dusty. He has a question here for us, Mark. Um, and the question is, first time messaging you guys. Love the show. Can't get enough. Glad to have you along, alongside us, BD. Sad the season is over, and so is the show this year. But how would you guys grade the season for each team 
and what do you think the high and the low of the season for each team was? Mark? I'd give the Reds a C-. minus. Uh, I, I think they, they underperformed, and, and that sounds silly when a team wins 90 games, but this team should have won, <clears throat> should have won the division. And they're, the highlight, I think, was when the three-game sweep against the Dodgers, which late in the season in September, which proved to me they could play with the big boys. And I thought when they swept those three games, they were going to they were going to win the division. I was I was pretty sure they were. Uh, so that was the highlight for me when the, when they came in and won those three games. Great American Ballpark was electric, and that's that Sunday night game on TV. That was really a cool game and. Uh, the Reds were exciting, and everything seemed to be going together. Things pretty much fell apart after that. And uh, so I would say they, they underperformed to expectation, uh, which to me has to be a C or C-minus grade for them. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad the season is, is over, too, but I think I'm a tough grader. I would say that the Indians deserve an A-minus. Uh, not an A, not an A-plus, but an A-minus just simply because they fell flat on their face in the one-game wild card uh, contest. And, you know, Mark, it, I think that's a tough, a tough, tough game to win. You've got one game. I know it's like they say it's like a game five or a game seven, but it's really not. And baseball is designed to be a game of a series. To, you know, a three-game series, a four-game series, best of five, best of seven. The one game just doesn't fit baseball, and that's a tough game to win. And they lost to Tampa Bay. They ran into the tough pitcher and lost 4 nothing in that game. It, it can't take away from the season, but, you know, overall, I think this team did an A-minus. There's room for improvement. And I think they can win the division next year. Just just look where Detroit is right now, one one. You know, I, Mark. Before I get into my my highs and lows, I got to say this: Jim Leland blew it last night in that game with Boston. Why would you ever take your Cy Young Award winner? I don't care if it's Verlander or Scherzer out of the game after throwing just 96 pitches in the seventh inning when your bullpen has been suspect all year. You got a horse there, Mark. Ride him. Well, that's you know I can't argue with that sentiment, but he said, and so did so did the surger, the surger after the game. He was gassed, he was tired, and they did not want him to go back out when he was tired and maybe risk an injury. But I don't know if he asked out of the game, but he certainly responded to the question by the pitching coach, "Can you go another inning?" And he said, "I'm," he said, "I'm tired." So do you do you put a guy out there with that kind of response? You probably probably don't. And you know their bullpen was stellar the night before, and uh, it just to me you know this year David we talked about tough losses both the Reds and the Indians have and every team has just horrible losses during the year bad beats as they call them in poker, but that is one of the toughest losses I can remember in a playoff game. I, I don't remember a game maybe other than the Cubs against uh, uh, the Giants. You know when, when what year was that the uh, Bartman game. Uh, that that yeah. was a horrible loss, but this was one of the toughest losses in recent memory uh, of a team with with that kind of lead. I mean, you've had tough losses where a team has a one or two run lead and they get beat with two out in the ninth. But man, you're up five to one and you lose that game. That that's tough. Yeah, that was tough. Well, what do I think the highs and lows of the season was for the Indians? I, I think very specifically, the high point of the season was Jason Giambi's two run homer in the bottom of the ninth against the Chicago White Sox when the Indians had to win in the the second game against the White Sox of that four-game set. They had to win it, and they did with Giambi's home run after Chris Perez blew the save in the top of the inning. My low point, Mark, you can guess this one. The night that we were doing the show and Chris Perez blew the save against the Detroit Tigers in the first game of a four-game set on a Monday night when Alex Avila hit the two-run homer for the Indians to lose that ball game. I mean, that was just one of those contests that had the Indians won that game, it could have turned the tide not only on the season, not only in the division, but that entire series. They ended up losing all four games. 
and it started off on a bad note with Perez blowing the save in that one. That, to me, was the low point of the season for the Indians. Yeah, you and I talked about that game, and that, that I agree with you. That was the toughest game, I think, the Indians had this year. Uh, so, uh, you know, every season when you play 162 games as these teams do, every, se- every team's going to have a horrible loss. And it's interesting when you look back on a season, all the highs and lows, the fans, this, I used to have this something I made up called a, a, a fan suffering index. And there are certain games that you lose, say you blow a lead, and it kills you because maybe it, it had an impact on a, the team you're chasing, as an example. They, they won. So now you lost. And if you played the team that's ahead of you and you lost, it's a horrible loss. But by the same token, you have a bad loss, but the team you're chasing or the team you're ahead of, they lost too. So it reduces the suffering index because of that. So every game is different, mainly because of what happens to the team that is closest to you in in the race. And there are some years, I remember when the Reds back in 75-76, they never had tough losses. Number one, they they won most of the games, but they were they were so much better than everybody else that that a loss, no matter how devastating, didn't stick because you knew they were going to come back and win, and the other teams were losing too, so it didn't matter. That I think the most difficult seasons for a fan to endure are rooting for a team that is a 500 team because they're losing every other game. And they're still in the race, maybe they're only five or six games back, but you never get any momentum. Every loss is a crusher, and it, it just you, you want to go crazy rooting for these teams. So I, I think the 500 team produces the most agony for a fan and uh, e- even even more agony than a team that you know is going to lose 100 games and you don't give a damn after a while. Well, here's the last Ask Us question for this season, Mark. We we touched upon it just a little bit ago, and that is with Arroyo's connection to Francona in Boston, what are the chances of the Indians trying to sign him this offseason, and would he be a good fit in Cleveland? Yeah, I think he would be a good fit in Cleveland, especially if they let Ubaldo Jimenez go. They're going to need another starting pitcher. I think he could move Mark right into that second or third spot in the rotation for the Indians, pretty much where he was with the Reds. How do you feel about him fitting in? I think that's a bad move, Dave. I mean, if I had a choice, and it's going to be about the same amount of money, I bet Imanez would probably get the same amount of money that Arroyo is going to be getting, $16, $17 million a year. There's no way I would pay that amount of money for Arroyo. No way. And if you're going to do that, I would much rather have Imanez. Much higher upside. He's much younger. Uh, He has starter stuff that could be number one or number two. Uh, I I think it's... I don't think Arroyo is going to get anything near what he wants in in terms of a contract, which means he could come back to the Reds at a much lower number, but somebody is going to get him on the cheap. He he is not going to trade high, in my opinion, in terms of value. What do you think Chu will get? Uh, I, I think Chu could get 16, 17, 18 million. But if I were the Reds, I, I don't see that. I mean, he's a he's a good player, uh, but boy, you're talking big money. Uh, for, I mean, Jay Bruce is making ten million, and you're going to pay twenty million to Chew. I, I don't see it. Mark, tell me, you know, you're you're just a little bit older than me, and I, I mean that with all due respect. Do you still get? The, the giddiness, the excitement when you know that the pitchers and catchers are going to report for spring training? You know, I have this ridiculous habit right now, and I've had it for the last 20 years. I count the days, like right now, I think I, think I did it earlier today, there's like 160-some days left before opening day. And then I go back and say, okay, 160-some days Going back, well, that was in the middle of May. I can remember that pretty clearly. (laughs) So, yeah, I still get giddy over pitchers and catchers reporting, and I I still look forward to it even at my advanced age, which is the great thing about baseball. Uh, I I never get tired of it, and those of us, and I think anybody listening to us, has to be a baseball nut. So I think they probably know what I'm talking about. 
Well, definitely. So, you know, we end every show that we've done over the last four years, Mark. I ask you, what do the Reds have coming up? The Indians, their next game, they're going to open up in Oakland on March 31st of 2014. Do you know when the Reds open and with who? They open March 31st against the St. Louis Cardinals, a three-game series. There we go. That ends another season of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Mark, four years. I, I still get a kick out of listening to you talk about the Reds. Thank you very much. We'll do this again next year. And I appreciate your insight on the Indians, and I hope we both have good winners. And thank you to all of our fans who, who write in and call in, and we appreciate it very much. And we look to get bigger and better next year. Absolutely. Thanks to everyone. Thanks to our producer, Greg Mitchell. Thanks to the website, ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, thanks to you. And again, our thanks to everyone listening out there. We'll see you again at the beginning of spring training in 2014. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, and have a good winter, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next year. Good night, everybody.